Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. Thanks to funding from the British Podcast Awards Fund and Wellcome Trust, I'm embarking on a series of conversations under the banner Theory in the Flesh. I borrow the term Theory in the Flesh from, and with gratitude to, our feminist and QTPOC elders to draw attention to the health inequalities and disparities experienced by queer black people in the UK. The conversations convened under Theory in the Flesh explore sexual racism, refugees and asylum seekers, masculinity, black women, medical research and therapy, and should hopefully, if I've done my job, provide a window into just some of the many considerations we have to make as queer black people in the UK about our health. I really hope you all enjoy these conversations. Our livelihood, our health, our thriving is of the utmost importance to me, and a great deal of care, thought and research has gone into these conversations. As ever, I would love to hear from you. Please do email me on busybeingblackpod at gmail.com that's busy being black pod at gmail.com with any feedback what we found in our work whatever you prescribe regardless of what it is if you give anybody a new version of masculinity and say right now this is what we're aiming for this is positive masculinity because there is power involved and we haven't explored and deconstructed power and and taken it out of the equation whatever it is that we give to men will be corrupted in a way that will just become a different form of toxic masculinity In countries like England, where young black boys, irregardless of sexuality, are disproportionately impacted by school exclusions, where the prison population is full of black men, and where access to mental health services for black people are increasingly rare, how are we as queer black people and queer people of color acknowledging and showing solidarity with our presumably heterosexual black brothers? Kathy J. Cohen's seminal essay, Punks, Bull Daggers, and Welfare Queens, cautions us against a queer politics that does not include those whose sexuality may be different to ours. She writes, My concern is centered on those individuals who consistently activate only one characteristic of their identity or a single perspective of consciousness to organize their politics, rejecting any recognition of the multiple and intersecting systems of power that largely dictate our life chances. And so my conversation today is with Ben Hurst, who is doing transformative work with men and boys around the country, helping them understand feminism, intersectionality, and masculinity. We discuss our friendship as an example of the work of coalition building across sexual identities, embracing emotional literacy as black men, and the patience and understanding required to show men and boys a different version of the masculinity they've learned. I'm Josh Rivers, and I'm Busy Being Black with Ben Hurst. I'm trying to do my deepest voice. Yeah, good. Josh. Yes, that's good. 
good. Yeah, very nice. Wow. How do you do that? <laughs> How do you, is that just your voice all the time? It is. I, wow. I can put I put on the podcast voice though. Because I want I want people voice. to feel, you know, I you know, I heard this Irish poet say the other day, there's this there's this kind of saying in Irish. Yeah. You're the place I stand when my feet are sore. You're just gonna be poetic the whole time, right. aren't you? Just for no reason. Okay, no. I can't help it. Okay. You're the place I, I you're the place I stand when my feet are sore. Yeah, you're the soft place I land when my feet are sore. I think that's what it is. And In I think what a beautiful voice. way to think about busy being black. Uh, right? Like that people that can is, tune into something and they can feel held and yeah, soft. That is accurate. When you're tired. Yes. When your feet are, when you've had enough, you've been doing this, you're explaining it all the time. Mm. Just listen. Just yeah. chill. And I think this, I, I kind of lost my temper earlier today with someone <laughs> because I was really feeling, I'm really feeling the deportations. I'm okay. really feeling the rhetoric in the country around, or this disregard for black life. Yeah. And it's, I've been looking for things to listen to that I think might help alleviate some of the stress. And so right. poetry has been, has been really helpful over the past couple of days. What kind of, we had this conversation before off podcast but what kind of poetry do you listen to if you want to relax oh i don't think necessarily think i i, li I listen to poetry to relax okay. I, I want to be moved okay so you're I like i'm be tired gutted. of this rhetoric <laughs> i need to punish myself yeah or <laughs> i need to yeah, engage yeah in i want to cry yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's true i mean listening to Padre Gotuma on poetry unbound uh -huh. and he's talking you know he's reciting this poem that this woman has written about her relationship to her mother and her body mm. and i'm walking down the street crying i'm just like this is so beautiful <laughs> this is so good for me <laughs> this is so good for me i love it i can't do you find I do I don't know how do you I mean I just read comics. So I when you're feeling weird, down, you yeah, read comics. Yeah, I read comics or I watch like thrillers on Netflix. Mm. I watched all of Lufa in like two, three days the oh, other week. Luther was brilliant. Though. It was so bad. That was a terrible. And I've like had I had nightmares afterwards. I went to Liverpool Street Station. And I almost had like a panic attack. <laughs> but it was doing what it needed to do. do you know? I was yeah. trying to avoid thinking about something else. So. Mm. It helps but when i'm trying to like if my mind is busy i have to do something that like it's, i guess it's just a form of escapism right like totally. you're just that bringing your mind into a different world where you're like literally able to imagine all of your energy is going into like imagining what's happening um and that's super soothing for me i wish it was as simple as like taking a bath and i've reached the point now where i can't even like go in the shower or get in the bath without like watching a video really yeah which Why? is really different i don't know i just feel like i need i like i think silence scares me. transition period oh, yeah oh it's like the silence scares me the thought of like sitting with myself and being with myself and allowing my thoughts to run is scary at this point in time what do you think that is i don't know i think uh, this has got very deep very quickly i think that is something to do with maybe not liking who I am, not, but I do like myself, but just like there's a, a myself beyond myself where I think I'm not sure about that guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, mm, is he really that great? Mm. Or like figuring that stuff out. The only time I ever do any of that work is like if I go to therapy. That's a very brave admission. Yeah. Yeah, I have to, I have to be intentional about it because I can't like, it, it actually petrifies me. It's so scary. 
I don't know how other people do it, just sit with themselves. Like, you know, there's this narrative about like learning to love yourself and learning to mm -hmm. like yourself and spending time with yourself and dating yourself and blah, 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 blah. Like I, I really struggle with it. Like I just think. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting one. I've been thinking about it loads recently whilst watching videos on YouTube. Yeah, when the ads are playing, you have those little 30 yeah, seconds like, oh, to what reflect. Do I, <laughs> what do I think about that? Oh, no, too Yeah, good. oops. Yeah. Huh. I'm glad you've shared that, actually. That's such a... Um, that's very brave mm. to, to say that I'm, I'm not sure of who I'm becoming, yeah. which I think is what you're saying. Yeah. It's, I, like, it's more, I, maybe, maybe I'm not sure... I think I've ignored the person I've been for such a long period of time Mate, that I don't. Out. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that I don't. I don't know who that person is, and I, it's, that person scares me because I know. Like sometimes I do bad things. Bad things. What? What is a bad thing? Sure. But I do things that I wouldn't agree with someone else doing, mm. and I like those moments force you to confront yourself. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I had the capacity to do that, but I've done those things enough times to now think. Bro, who the fuck am I? Like, who actually am I? Right. What's actually going on here? Um, and I don't want to deal with it. So, like, I went. I remember when I was one time I had this therapy session, and my therapist was like, "Oh, let's talk about your childhood." And I was like, "I don't. I didn't come here to talk about my childhood. Like, yeah, it's fine." Off, yeah. I was like, "I don't need to talk about it." But my childhood was relatively stable. It was like good. Um, my family are really loving, really caring. I was like, "I don't. It's fine." He was like, no, but that's just how I practice. So we'll just do this. We'll get it out of the way and then we can do what you want. And he absolutely broke me. Like it was wow. bad. And I remember like just crying for like maybe 20 minutes of the session. I was just crying. And at the end, like I was like, does anybody ever do a good job? And he was like, people do the best job they can do. Then he was like, okay, Ben, so... Uh, we've reached the end of the session. I was like, no, 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 yeah. we, ha no we haven't. Because you can't, you can't, you can't take me to that place. Like, that's the place that I avoid going to. Yes. You can't take me there and then just leave me and be like, go and have a walk in the park. <laughs> Am I a dickhead? Like, what the, I don't know. I, yeah, I didn't. It's rough, man. So I try to like, I try, and I'm trying to be more intentional about creating more spaces where I can like explore that stuff. Mm. Um, really interestingly, like I find swimming helps. Because when you're swimming, like any exercise, I'll have headphones in or I'll be with people. Right. Swimming is like the most isolating space. Oh, and it's the entire body is yeah. engaged. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, you're just with your thoughts. Mm. So you're either like, it's like either like meditation and you're just focusing on breathing and strokes mm. or you're like actually thinking, which is a, which is an intense experience, but it's good. I'm really interested in this, in, in what you're saying. I think it's profound. You know, when... When I had my tweet saga, mm. that young man, I didn't recognize him anymore, him per se, mm. but I, re I understood I recognized his anger. And I also didn't remember that I had within me a capacity to be that angry. Yeah. And one of the crucial parts of that healing process in the aftermath was realizing that I couldn't just jettison this young man 
uh, he's a part of me. Mm. He was always a part of me. And in, I guess in many, many ways he still is. Mm -hmm. But if I was going to try to ignore him or deny him, um, I would be ultimately denying a part of myself yeah. that needed to be held, yeah. that needed to be brought forward into a, a brighter future, as it were, at the risk of sounding woo-woo. Yeah. So I feel that. I feel that. And it's a tension, right? It's, you're wrestling with these imaginings that we have for ourselves. And I think that maybe particularly as black men, yeah. right, that there is there is a constant tension between who the world says we are, yeah. who the world says we are allowed to be, yeah. what we imagine for ourselves, and, and actually doing it. Yeah. This is so, it's like that, the, the thought of bringing that person forward into a brighter future is a really interesting idea because I feel like I wanna leave that person in the past do you know what I mean? I feel like I just want to ignore it, but then it forces its way out anyway. And as you say, like as a black man, mm. like it's a very, well, I don't know. I've never been anything other than a black man, yeah, but like fair. I imagine it's quite a different experience in terms of like the freedom that you have. <laughs> That's a very generous like, way of I don't, saying I don't it, know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've only ever been me. But um, yeah, it's uh, the, the, the limitations on, like particularly on who you are allowed to be yes. in terms of like now getting into this space where you're starting to like, for me now reaching 30, like I'm starting to explore emotional literacy and blah, blah. And it's my work as well. Right. So like I go into schools and I talk about it in workshops and blah, and I just sometimes not all the time, but sometimes I feel like such a fraud. Cause I think, ah, oh, am I doing that work on myself? And I am more intentionally doing it now, but then, within that space, like it's like you, there's almost like this internal struggle of like, it feels like I'm sacrificing elements of my blackness, my identity as a black man to, to be more emotionally literate because we're not supposed to be that. Or like I don't, there's not models of wow. what that looks like that are readily accessible. There are models, but they're not like easy to grab. So then you like, you're like the the unconscious work that you're doing is like, do I make the choice to like deny that part of me? Do I not want to be like my dad and be someone else? But then who am I? Like who? The, what? What? What are you doing? I don't know. This is such a good conversation. So <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm like hanging onto the table. I'm like shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but wow. Yeah. Does me being emotionally literate make me less of a black man? Yeah. Fucking. Hell. And culturally, it does, right? Like I was in the barbershop the other day. And they were just going nuts. It was like, honestly, like I've always heard that like barbershops are really homophobic spaces and I've never really seen it in my barbershop. Mm. Maybe one or two times. This was the worst thing, like the worst time I'd ever seen it. And I remember sitting there and I was like weighing up the options and I was like, oh, do I like jump in? Do I just dismiss it? Like, what do I do? Am I gonna mm. get into an argument with this guy? He's clearly not in a space where he wants to learn or have a conversation about it. Mm. Everybody's supporting the same like idea. Like we're all like, and and then I felt myself shutting down and I was like, ah, oh, like, what do you do? But then I was also like, well, I, like there were two other people in the barbershop that I knew personally. Mm. And I was like, well, I know at least one of you thinks what I think. So how, how are we both sitting in silence in, in this situation? But like to to remain in the culture, like when they're saying like, oh, if, if someone's gay, like I'm kicking them out the chair, they're not coming, I'm not cutting their hair, duh, 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 duh. Like then how do you, like it's a, a very strange experience, mm -hmm. but like even that space of like arguing 
a narrative or not even arguing, but having a because it's fine to argue, but to have a conversation is like, nah, <laughs> we don't space. do that. So how did like, what is your identity in that space? I had no idea. I was so confused. It reminds me actually of something Ilya Kaminsky, the poet said. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you don't have to apologize yeah. to me. <laughs> he said, I speak against silence and again against silence. Which I think speaks about that this moment, right? Whereby you want to speak up, yeah. silence is bad, but also you're encountering silence as well as yeah. you are with your comrades in that space, right? Yeah. You know they think what you think, mm -hmm. but none of you are speaking up. You're speaking against silence and again against silence. Mm. That, I think that, that double wall of silence is super important for us as black men to consider. There's a navigation that happens in these moments, yeah. this kind of calculus. Is this safe for me to do? Is it worth my time? Who am I defending in this space? What do I stand to lose in this space? I'm shaking my head, so I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. 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 <laughs> you, can't, you can't see, because it's on a podcast part. Well, I think that's one of the reasons I wanna have this conversation with you. Uh. Across sexuality, because I think that there is, across assumed sexuality, I yeah. should say. Because I think that it's very white for us to silo ourselves, as in, I'm explicitly queer, you may be explicitly straight, this, uh -huh. this, this, all these boxes and categories. Yeah. When actually the conversations that you and I have had privately and at events have only demonstrated how interconnected right. everything we're thinking and doing and every, 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 the person we're trying to become yeah. is very much aligned and really has nothing to do with sexuality yeah. per se, right? That explicit intersection yeah. of, of identity that I tend to wax on and bang on about so much. Yeah, it's important, <laughs> and I think but, and not that it has nothing to do with it, but it is not a limiting factor that's right. in that exploration of who you wanna become, right? Mm. Like the conversations that we have had have always been, for me, on a personal level, like they're always conversations where I leave thinking more than I came in thinking, mm. which is a nice space. Yeah. Like I don't often feel expanded in that way. Um, but also there's like a strange, like a really like profound sense of solidarity in like, oh, like we are actually, like there is actually people, there are people who are moving in the same direction. Totally. So like, even if this new identity or this, Thing that we're trying to become doesn't exist or it's completely new at least you're not there by yourself yes um well and and what we have together so far is an example of expanded thinking yeah so for listeners ben and i first met um in the spring of last year when i was convening a conversation around black heterosexual men and hiv for the annual beaver conference mm -hmm. Um, ben accepted this invitation to have this conversation about what a black man's experience is like with sexual health and HIV. And this is the first time in Beaver's 20 year history they had had four or any group of, of black heterosexual men, any. Yeah, slash <laughs> yeah. any heterosexual black men talking about HIV. Yeah. And this is Beaver, the British HIV Association. And so what was so profound about that experience was that I had before then really been looking at HIV and mm -hmm. sexual health through a very gay man lens. Mm -hmm. And and why not, right? I'm a gay man in the world. Yeah, that's the lens you see through. But then I realized that, you know, through this research that actually black heterosexual people are disproportionately impacted by HIV. Right. And no one is, you know, no medical or HIV organizations are doing enough substantive, meaningful work to try to 
intervene Mm -hmm. in this, what is ostensibly a health crisis. And so I found that this conversation that we had about sexual health and HIV and about this inability for organizations to speak to you in a meaningful way, in a way that resonated with you, like that crosses, that's a black experience. Yeah, it's not not a uniquely, um, it's not uniquely an experience for people from any minority group like it's a very black experience yes like very specifically and this idea that we might somehow be hard to reach i think drives me absolutely oh fucking my gosh nuts. <laughs> i'm like we're not guys we're not that hard to reach like people reach us every day it's yeah. just not you because yeah. you are redundant yeah yes you just don't think about what you're doing no but i think again that falls into the idea of like who who we're allowed to be and who we're expected to be in the world and people i think are aiming for who they expect us to be mm. rather than who we actually are yeah, and so then, of course, when you crack open a conversation yeah. and it goes all sorts of ways except down the middle, yeah. I think that was so delightful about that talk yeah. was that those white HIV activists were not expecting us to go into that space and be like, you're shit at reaching black people. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, oh, make a rap song about HIV. <laughs> <laughs> if you just get stormed yeah, into make a song about HIV. Yeah, no, it's not going to work, guys. Yeah. So, but this is the work that you do, right? It's, I mean, it's a large part of the work that you do. It won't yeah. be all the work that you do. Can you tell, for listeners who don't know about your work at the Good Lad Initiative, how would you sum up that work? Um, okay, so my, my job is uh, head of facilitation and training, but I made, I made that job title up and it's not, it is what I do, but I also do a bunch of other stuff. So I work at the Good Lad Initiative, which is um, a gender equality organization that works to engage men and boys in gender equality work. Um, and essentially through a intersectional feminist lens, which is not like necessarily, we don't like poster it across our website um, because we're working with men and boys, but it is like at the foundation of, of the work that we do. Well, I did um, find on the website actually that um, that the Good Lad Initiative is intersectional and inclusive, gender yeah. transformative, rooted in women's experiences, voices and scholarship always learning and improving local relatable pragmatic yeah it's there right it's, it's definitely there, there. Yeah, yeah yeah no and because one of the things that i thought was how are you helping young boys and men to really understand intersectionality and its implications well i guess so <laughs> very explicitly you're running ep- like exercises on power and privilege but okay um in different forms so it depends on different ages so we work with boys from 11 up until 18 and then we work with men of all ages um, and we work in schools and universities and corporates um, and it looks very different depending on who you're working mm-hmm. with so yesterday we were in i was in southampton and we were doing some stuff with the football club with the under 23s and the under 15s and the under 18s um and then the day before i was in a school in east london and last week i was in a school in south london and then in cambridge the next day and it's just like it's wow. super super varied and we were in eaton the other week and then we're in disney in a couple of weeks and like it's just random groups of people but i think essentially no matter where you are no matter who you're talking to everybody has a uh an experience that is similar in some ways say Um, more about that so i think like the experience of masculinity this is so one of the activities we do like we'll map out masculinity so we will collectively as a group like go through stuff um different categories and be like what is masculinity where does it come from how does it it's exist a prison. yeah like why <laughs> it's a trap it's a jail um, but like what is it so not what does it look like what is it and then we'll say okay so what does that look like in these areas so whether it's like work or relationships or sex or sexuality or whatever I'm trying to answer that question in my head it's what hard. is masculinity go for it it is 
a social guide mm-hmm. about how cisgender men should behave in the world. Yeah, I give you that. that <laughs> yeah. right? I'd write. I, so what I do is write on the board, and then people okay. add and, and then refine we'll, it. Yeah, okay. and, and then we'll erase stuff that we don't like or like. Just, just so, and I, I think because when you're having a conversation about anything, um, one of the most important things is that everybody's on the same page at the start of the conversation. Mm. Otherwise, 30 minutes in, you realize two of you are talking about different things and then it's just been an argument for no reason. Right. Um, so you collectively define it and then we look at what it looks like in different areas. And do you think that in this, are you finding in this work that this is the first time that these young men and boys uh, have been having a, a, have been thinking about or having a kind of an exploratory session on masculinity as it were are they coming to this conversation with already picking it apart or is this kind of like their introduction to this conversation so it's definitely it's definitely the first time they've sat and talked about it wow um for a lot of them it's their first exposure to the idea of masculinity so one of in one of our exercises we'll ask um a question or a bunch of questions but one of them would be when was the first time you were aware of your gender um and the other person just actively listens. So one person answers for a minute, somebody else actively listens for a minute and then they swap. Um, And the majority of people will be like, I have never, men will be like, I have no idea. I've never thought about that before. Um, Because it's not something they have to think about, right? Which is like a little segue into intersectionality and privilege and all of that kind of stuff. But um, for a lot of, I think what's really interesting and also really scary is that for a lot of boys, it's not the first time that they've been exposed. I wouldn't say the majority, but I would say there are a, a fair amount. There's a good number of boys who have like come into contact with conversations about masculinity, but in very harmful ways. Um, and, and not in ways that are exploratory, not in ways where they're given space to explore the idea and come right. draw their own conclusions. It's like on Reddit forums or on 4chan and right. it's MRA Shit. stuff yeah. or like incel, like, like far right. Um, attitudes and ideas about what masculinity is and about masculinity being under attack and about why we hate women. Mm. Um, Which is also really interesting that we always, that we try really consciously to not do this in our sessions and they're like designed in ways that don't do that. Um, But often the conversation about masculinity is just a conversation about femininity. um, But masked in a way that's like- Funny, yes, of course it is. Yeah. Um, and I think because we see them as polar opposites, like people. Well, like, and because yeah. Mario Miele, the kind of grand dame of queer theory in 1978, wrote Towards a Gay Communism, he was ar- they were arguing mm-hmm. that masculinity is simply the suppression of femininity. Right. And so that that heterosexual men, I say that with quotes, heterosexual men have this obsession with the feminine. Yeah. It's quite bioessentialist, right? Because right. there's everything in between. Yeah. But if we're going to talk about masculinity and femininity, femininity explicitly, there is this kind of war between the two because capitalism and patriarchy is grounded upon the suppression and subjugation of the feminine. Right. And so heterosexual men become obsessed with the feminine yeah. or the anus or the things that are out of bounds or off limits. Right. And there's and there's this idea of like when we so if if I ask any guy really to to explain what positive masculinity looks like, it's really hard for a them myth. to not define yeah. femininity. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. re, it's really hard for them that? to not just li- list all of the traditional characteristics that we attribute to women. So right, okay. being caring, being kind, being gentle, being patient, being nice, whatever. Uh, um, those are feminine, quote unquote yeah. feminine, yeah. 
Um, so what is positive masculinity? Then? Well, I, I have no idea. Um, and I, like, I think I think one of the things, and this is why the conversation isn't just a conversation about masculinity, because I think that what we found in our work is it whatever you prescribe, regardless of what it is, if you give anybody a new version of masculinity and say, right now, this is what we're aiming for. This is positive masculinity because there is power involved and we haven't explored and deconstructed power and, and taken it out of the equation, whatever it is that we give to men will be corrupted in a way that will just become a different form of toxic masculinity. Um, so if we say, oh, now masculinity wow. is being kind or now masculinity is being gentle, men will become manipulative. Do you know what I mean? They'll, they'll start to use that in, in different ways yes. that are socially acceptable, but it will still be a power play. Because we're trash. Right. Well, not, not because... <laughs> uh, next question. No. Well, yeah, in, in some ways, well, because no, I don't think men are trash. No. I think that the system that is, we live in yeah, makes forces trash us, of us to be, yeah, to be trashy. Um, and I, yeah, I think that that is a, an interesting dynamic. But the, the, the best bit of the job is explaining this to a 12 year old because they don't know these yeah. words and they don't talk about it in this way. So you're then trying to simplify those constructs and those ideas into something that a 12 year old can actually grapple with mm. and explore and chew and like be like, oh yeah, no, I don't like that. Or I want to change that thing about wow. what we're like. Or actually, I don't like that we treat girls like that. Or I don't feel comfortable with this thing or whatever. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. I'm thinking about how many gay men need that right. training. Yeah. I think there has been this kind of long running assumption that gay men are somehow safer yeah. than straight <laughs> men. But I think that we have proven that we abuse our proximity to women and that we are some of the worst perpetrators of misogyny and sexism. Mm -hmm. Like it's gross yeah. to be a gay man and to bear witness to um, the many ways that a self hate or, you know, not having. Because all the, the gay men that I've that, that we see mostly mm -hmm. are trying to grapple with their own masculinity, right, or mm -hmm. their exclusion from right. masculinity, which is an even more volatile space, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not even oh, I've been doing this shit all along that was just problematic and I didn't realize. It's like actually the stuff that I've been doing is a direct rebellion to being ex excluded from this thing that I always thought I deserved to be part of, but I wasn't, shit. and now. Like, but now you're doing a whole set of other things that are like also still problematic because you still have access to the privilege in different ways. So it's still, the power still manifests and, and changes and molds that different identity into a different thing. I, and it's, so, do you know what? This is why it has to be intersectional, right? Because there are so many different issues for black boys in South London. It's a completely different set of issues mm. to South Asian boys in East London, mm. to white boys in Windsor. Like it's, it's very, very different. Um, depending on who you're talking to. But are you using, how are you using intersectional? Because this is this is something I try to have, I have converse about. I mean, I have yeah. my opinions um, or my position on it. How are you using intersectional? So inter when, I'm, when I'm talking about intersectionality, hopefully I'm talking about what Kimberly Crenshaw was talking about, right? Which yeah. is um, the, the compounding of marginalized identities. And do you think that men 
can describe our experiences as intersectional. No, well, they are by they are by default intersectional unless you're say more unless you're cis white het. I can't even list all of the yeah. things that you have to be to be yeah. in the perfect Aryan triangle of like <laughs> non-oppression. Yeah. Like there are there are elements of your identity that cross over mm, into oppression, and I think by its nature, having a conversation about power with people who experience oppression is an intersectional conversation because even that position of masculinity and power um, or, or maleness and privilege is still tainted in different ways for different people by different parts of their identity. Yes. So for a disabled man, yes, he is a man. And yes, the world prefers him in a lot of different areas. But there's also loads of experiences that we can't skip out because then if you go to him and say, well, actually you just have privilege because you're a man, his experience is not that, right? His experience is like, well, actually the world's fucked me over 17 million times yeah. because of all of this other shit that no one wants to talk about. So we can't have that conversation in isolation from all the other conversations. In my mind, um, so I, I, I would always try to be very sensitive to that. Mm. Um, and it's, it can never be... Also, that I think there's a. I heard some podcast about this part of your brain. I forget what it's called, but that shuts down when you feel defensive. Like literally shuts down, and you lose the ability to have a rational oh, conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you're, if we're trying to open up conversations <laughs> and we're denying people their actual lived experience in the conversation because of their positionality in one area, then we lose them, and the conversation's over. Um, if you go to a man and say men are trash. And, and then say, oh, but it's about patriarchy. They're not listening anymore. It's gone. You're yeah, done. Do you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? That's interesting. So I think, I think yeah. that's, uh, I'm really glad that you've expanded on that because I was at dinner with Dr. Crenshaw. Yes. As, Clang. As you yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Humble brag. Um, and we had this conversation and she, and she said, you know, men do have, I think, in her opinion, intersectional experiences or oh, experiences so that can be categorized under intersectionality. <laughs> yeah. And she said, what do you think though? Yeah. And I said, I would, I'm a, you know, cisgender, light-skinned, well-educated, yeah. well-spoken, you know, black man. It seems irresponsible for me to use the term intersectional to describe my lived experience. Right. And I think that men, and I think that we lose, I think it's very easy for us to lose the origin story of intersectionality right. if men start describing their experiences as intersectional. When that, that when that case, uh, you know, that that through which Kimberly, uh, Dr. Crenshaw coined mm -hmm. um, intersectionality was about this black woman who, within the eyes of the law, was not protected yeah. for her specific experience. And I think then, you know, that we're able to extrapolate that and apply it to our lives right. you know some 30 years later i think is really great but i think there's a risk that we lose that origin story and i think remembering the black women at the center of intersectionality for me has become very important yeah. particularly because in the gay lgbtq activism space people are using intersectionality to describe diversity right and it's, it's not the same bastardization, thing. for yeah. lack of a better word, of this experience, yeah. this, this continued erasure of, of black women. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that we have transitioned into as an organization is away from terminology. Um, so, so we would, I, th I think everything, or I can only speak for myself, right? So everything I do is in the mindset of, if I can explain this to a child, I really understand it. If I can't, I probably don't. I'm probably trying to sound smarter than I really am. So with a word like intersectionality, I'll use that because I feel like 
you understand it's easier than speaking t- 20 extra words sure. in this conversation. But for the for the sake of any conversation with any average person I'm ch- talking to, um, I would try to not use the word because if I can't explain what I'm talking right, about, then right. the word means nothing yeah, anyway. Yeah, totally. Um, and so I think in those types of conversations, it's a lot of exploration. It's a lot of like heavy lifting and people talking about their experiences and white people talking about when they experience reverse racism and explaining that reverse racism <laughs> isn't a thing. And like loads of different things that are happening um, to get people to a space mm. where they can then say, all right, this was actually interesting. I want to know more. And then we can give them a reading list and they can go and read a book and be like, oh, Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw said that thing that you were trying to say That's right. in the session wow. without us being like, well, as because I think you're just trying to... And I love how yeah. generous that is as well, yeah. right? Because I think that teaching and teaching in particular, I think is an act of generosity. Right. Here is everything I've learned. Yeah, 100%. Um, and here's how I think that you might learn it best. Yeah. I, there's so, and so that's so generous that you would take away this terminology because it is it is the terminology does not represent the essence of the thing that is being said yeah and then they're on this journey that these students of all ages yeah are kind of um re-encountering these lessons and making the connection is yeah i think it's and i think generous is the right word yeah generous is a nice word and also like the the terminology is academic and academia is a form of Fair. a pr- like privilege and oppression for lots of different people yeah. And so like, I'm, the people I'm talking to more often than not are not people who have done degrees in gender studies. So they're not gonna know what I'm talking about anyway. And the point of it is to help them get to the space and not even to help oh, them understand- Oh, e. Patrick Johnson it, says, <laughs> out of the ivory tower onto the front porch. Right, right, exactly that. Mm, mm. It's bringing those concepts. And I think that space is so important because somebody has to formalize the idea. Somebody has to spend time thinking about it and say, this is actually, what we are talking about here. Yeah, and because theory means nothing if there's no, I was gonna say fuck say praxis, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> theory means nothing God if there's it, no yeah. word for doing yeah, things doing practically. It, yeah. 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 yeah, if you can't actually apply it in the streets. Yeah. Or I think for black people at least. Or in the sheets, huh? Or in the well, hey, conversation. Well, hey. Yeah. Well, well. <laughs> All right. Well. Now. now, speaking of the sheets. Oh, uh, yes. Um, so I came across in my reading a passage, and I'm sure I've sent this to you, but it, so where do I start this? I'm bringing people along on the journey of mm-hmm. my thinking here. So I was reading a quote from trans activist and academic Paul Preciado, mm-hmm. who was saying, it's not enough to be queer. You, you have to, anymore, you have to be self-critical in your queerness. You have to understand what your politics are. Mm-hmm. Um, then Anymore. I was reading, yeah, right. Because yeah. I think before you could just <laughs> yeah, be queer it and it was enough. Yeah. Now it's not. You have to be self-critical. Yeah. Um, then I was reading an essay uh, about solidarity. Yeah. So we as queer black people um, are more aligned to the quote-unquote heterosexual wel- black welfare queen than we are to the wealthy white gay. Mm-hmm. So if our politics, our queer politics, do not include the black heterosexual welfare queen. What are our politics? Right. What do they stand up against? And so part of this, is of what I'm trying to do, is trying to expand my thinking um, to try to, to try to understand people's experiences in new ways, mm-hmm. to see if there can't be some coalition building that I might previously not have engaged in because I had shuttered myself off. So mm-hmm. let's take black heterosexual men, right? right. So 
uh, Devin Carbado, who's considered one of the grandfathers of critical race theory, says, there are racial dimensions to male investment in heterosexuality. For example, straight black male strategies to avoid homosexual suspicion could relate to the racial aspects of male privileges. Mm -hmm. Heterosexual privilege, privilege is one of the few privileges that some black men have. These black men may want to take comfort in the fact that whatever else is going on in their lives, they are not finally sissies, punks, faggots. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. <laughs> that makes so much sense. Yeah. And so I think of all the men I've encountered in my life who have never given that generous a viewpoint, like I've never considered their lives outside of this immediate confrontation that's right. in front of me. But black straight men are, of course, they're entire human beings yeah. who are in, in, interacting with the world around them, my dad included. Yeah. I was in a, in a workshop the other day in South um, at this really good state school, like top, top state school. Um, and all of the kids, 90 something percent of the kids are black. Um, everyone's super, super smart, really articulate really engaged well in the conversation and they were doing so well while we were going through all of the topics and we got to homophobia and they buckled it. They absolutely shut down. Really? Um, and we had, we had like this big, I actually went on a bit of a rant in one of the sessions and I was like, they were talking about um, the Bible and homophobia um, and how the Bible says gay people mm -hmm. are, are wrong, it's Adam and Eve and blah, 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 blah. Um, and we got into this big conversation. I was like, I feel like I can say this to you on the level because we've had a similar experience. And I know what it is to grow up in church. I know what it is to grow up in a religious family. I know what it is to come from a culture that tells you what to think and what to believe and what's right and what's wrong. But you also know, because I knew when I was your age, that you are being dickheads. And that's, like, <laughs> that's the long and short of it. Yeah, and you yeah. get to decide who you want to be in the world. So if you want to be someone that's not nice to other people, make that decision, make it with your chest and do it. But don't pretend that it's something else. Don't pretend that that's because God. of, yeah, because yeah. there's so many other things that we negotiate with God. Do you know what I mean? Like there are so many other things and we're like, oh, God still loves well, me even hey. though I this and even though yeah, I that, yeah. but this one is not okay <laughs> and it's non-negotiable. What are you talking, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's ridiculous to yes. me. Um, that we negotiate with God, that's yeah. so true. But that, but that is, again, like culturally a very specific black experience, yes. which is why I, I would have used the word intersectional before. And I think that idea of, black men, masculinity being one of the only spaces that they have privilege is so true. Like so scarily yeah. true. Yeah. Where your your lived reality is every day you come into contact with oppression all the time. You feel it all the time. Mm. The only freedom you have from that is, well actually, like I can dominate women. Or actually like At least I'm not. Yeah, do you know what I mean? At least at least I am when I'm walking down the road, no one's gonna trouble me or like whatever it might sure. be, or like I can puff my chest up. Um, and I, sometimes I worry that it's a bit self-indulgent, right? It speaks of my privilege yeah. that I'm considering, you know, I'm not in immediate danger, yeah. right? At the same time, I think that if, I think part of this coalition building yeah. or building solidarity, uh, like um, Reverend Kyoto says, like love is creating space within ourselves for people to be their full selves. Yeah, and I think that can't just Such apply, right? Yeah. It can't just apply to queer life. Yeah, right. It ha I have to be able to extend that space for you yeah. to land softly. Right? Yeah, that accounts for the way that the world treats you as my black brother, which will be distinct from the way that I'm 
treated yeah. by the world. And I don't know how we create that space if we're not trying to also understand that heterosexuality may be one of the few privileges our brothers have. Yeah. And so therefore we might we might not condone what they're doing, but I understand why you're lashing out at me. Yeah. And I, but you know what? Not like, that uh, it's okay, but yeah, I uh, maybe some maybe I can understand that in a way. I'm thinking about my father. Yeah. I'm thinking about that that generosity that extends to him and maybe his closed-mindedness yeah. and and watching him open up over the past 15 years. Yeah. That that has been an act of devotion, an act of intimacy, an act of love, an act of space creating around yeah. him. Like we, well, there was a joke in our office that um, nobody, nobody, no activist should have to do activism with their family. Yeah. And we should all swap and do each other's families at Christmas because <laughs> it's easier because yeah. you're not burdened. Like you're not burdened with the actual reality of it. Mm. Um, and I think you used the word generous earlier, which is a nice word to describe it because I. Th- well, maybe not even adequate because like, somebody has to suffer. For someone else to learn, somebody has to experience the thing and then be able to come back and That's articulate it. it. That's it. Which is um, a horrible experience. Yes. And when I was trained, that was the same experience. So there was, in our, in our training, we always have a woman and a man delivering day one of training where we're doing theory um, and ideas and concepts about masculinity. There's always a woman present because it would be redundant to have that conversation devoid of a woman's voice. But also that woman has to be trained in a very specific way to be able to hold space for men because it's hard to listen to all of that stuff. It's, yeah. it's hard. You have to be paid for that. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, that's yeah, not, that's yeah. not free work, bro. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and I think when we're talking about allyship in inverted commas, co-conspiration, Oh, it, can I tell you how much I hate that? What co-conspiration? Right, yeah, I don't know what you used the phrase before, and I was oh, trying right. to remember it. What, white phrase? What do you like? <laughs> I don't know. I think allyship is fine. Okay. I think that people are trying to find a new word for allyship instead yeah. of making better allies. Right. They're spending a lot of time doing it. So much I time. I don't need a co-conspirator. Yeah. I need a fucking ally. Yeah. <laughs> but I think in that space of allyship, like that's one of the things about our our work at Good Lad is that it's men doing that work with boys. Yes. And women started that work. The, there were women who were the founders of the organization. There were women who, in the initial phases, developed all of the projects, ran the workshops in schools with boys, but they shouldn't have to do that. That's right. That's, it's not fair. It's actually not fair because they are the people that are feeling the oppression. They're the mm-hmm. people who have, like, it's more likely that they're going to walk into a classroom, hear a boy say something, and be taken back to a space of trauma and have to leave. Yeah. So, Allyship to me looks like taking that burden from other people and, and, and allowing them to take a break from doing it. You don't get to stop, right? Like yeah. when you live within the site of oppression, you don't get to stop experiencing the oppression. So if I can take that for 20 minutes, an hour and a half, three hours, a week, whatever, however long it is, whatever it is that I can do, I feel like that is what is valuable in that space. Um, and it's the, the hard thing. I think for me, the thing that I'm struggling with now is like not being guilty of virtue signaling or not being, do you know what I mean? Not yeah. not now moving into the space where I'm now the voice for black masculine or t- positive <laughs> yeah. masculinities. And, and everybody, once you start talking about stuff, everybody wants to give you a platform. Everybody wants you to come on their show. Everybody wants to give you the brand deals and come and do this award ceremony. And, but like it's, but it's, a lot of that is bullshit. Yeah. Some of it's really nice. A lot of it is just an ego trip for me. Yeah, I mean, you can tell who's doing the work because right. the work matters to them and those who are doing the work for the prestige. Yeah. And if you, I, I don't know, man, like part of me thinks if you're doing it for the prestige as an ally, right, there's a difference between doing it 
for prestige as a person who lives within the site of oppression. If yeah. you're doing it- Yeah, you should for, be able to yeah. bag, get it, secure the bag. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and, and you have to do that work either way. Whether you, get, whether you secure the bag or not, you're still doing the work, right? Sure. But for me as an ally, opting into having conversations with men and boys about masculinity and gender equality, I can take it or leave it. So do you know mm, what I mean? Like if yeah. I choose not to do that tomorrow, my life's not gonna drastically change. Yeah. Um, and if no one does that work for the next 20 years, my life's not gonna be that bad in that one, in that one area. Mm. Whereas if it's race, somebody has to do that work. Like it has to get done, otherwise I'm getting shitted on for the next, do you know what I mean? So <laughs> I think when you're, when you're in that space, the hard things are when you start to feel the fatigue, when you're like, when you're not, looking after yourself properly and you're tired and you're waking up early and you're traveling across country or you're traveling to another country to do a talk or to do whatever. Um, and, and that feeling of tiredness isn't matched by the feeling of necessity. And then what do you, like, that's when allyship is hard. <laughs> wow. Yeah, for me, that's when it like, that's when you, you have to really consider what it is you're doing and also whether what you're doing is effective or not because otherwise it's a massive waste of time. You you go around to schools, mm -hmm. you interact with these young boys and these men mm -hmm. and it's everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. This problem of masculinity, masculinity is big. Do you ever think, fuck? <laughs> and if, because it's, it's such a big problem, do you ever wonder if you'll ever be done doing the work? The, do you ever feel defeated? That's what I'm asking. I feel, feel tired. Defeated? I don't ever feel defeated. Okay. I, I sometimes feel like, like I feel like one of our aims is to be in every school in the UK by I think it's 2025 or something. Um, if we're able to do that, we will have reached a, a large percentage of boys in the country. Wow. Not all of them, but a, mm. a, a large enough. percentage, yeah. Still not enough because it's not everyone. Not all the boys are in school, right? Not all, yeah, and and touche. and often the people who are not accessing those spaces that we believe are easily accessible are the people who are experiencing higher amounts of injustice and therefore perpetuating higher amounts of oppression right. in in retaliation to experiencing that injustice. Um, but I, I do sometimes. Like I don't feel I don't feel defeated. I sometimes go to places, particularly when I'm in places where people have power and people have the ability to change things and they don't, I feel, yeah, yeah. very tired. Um, but the, the, one of the beauties of this work is that it, fe it feels like it works, like it feels like it is changing, even if it's just slightly, um, changing the trajectory, not mm. changing the direction, but just changing the trajectory. Eventually they're gonna end up in a different place, right? Yeah, um, I'm thinking about Shay Newell saying, uh, recognizing that the work that she does is within an ecosystem of change. Right, yeah. And and we're not, we're not a lone organization. Like we partner with other organizations and we work in tandem with other people and we share best practice, we share ideas. We know that there are areas that we can't fill. People often ask us to come in and do diversity and inclusion workshops and we can't, we're That's not the best place bag. to do right, that. Right. We talk about masculinity, um, but there are so many things that are missed. Like I, one of my things is I want to talk about race. We don't necessarily do that as part of yeah, our project. Yeah, because that actually didn't come up in your TED talk. Yeah, no. There was no talk of race. Um, and that's not what this organization does. I'd set up another organization to do that um, and did that work also at the same time. But 
we don't all need to do all of the work. We need to do, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like some of us need to do some things. Everybody needs yeah. to do something. If Everyone everybody does something, something, things will change. Yeah. Um, but what often happens is we all look at the people who are doing something and say, you're not doing enough. And that's bullshit. That's absolute trash. Do you know what I mean? Speak. Like to and, and we're doing sitting sitting in our houses watching Netflix and chilling and, and complaining because the trans rights activist is not talking about race in the right way. Yeah. We we can talk about you can talk about whatever you want. Yeah. Create your own platform, do your own thing. Um so I get I it's tiring. I love that. It's it's draining, but it's not I never look at it and think, fuck, this is too bad to fix. I never think that. Good. Um okay. even when I'm talking to old people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're almost out of time. Uh, that's that beautiful little sound was. Um, I, <laughs> to close, I ask all of my guests the same question. What do you hope for? What do I hope for? I hope to work myself out of a job. That's what I hope for. I hope that, I hope that at, yes. some point, <laughs> at some point um, we'll be done with this bit of work and there will be no masculinity crisis in the UK globally and there will be another crisis right that things <laughs> change and evolve and I'll have another job I'll do something else but yeah I hope that I won't be doing this for the rest of my life um and that I figure out that shit that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast yeah. I hope that I learn to sit with myself and enjoy myself and and just not run away from from me well, you're one of my favorite people on earth and I'm so glad, I feel so, I feel so happy <laughs> that there are boys and men around the country and around the world who are going to encounter you yeah. and they're going to get to enjoy you and see a, a version or a future for themselves that they maybe didn't imagine before. I think, I think that's such a beautiful thing that you're doing and i'm so glad that you shared this space with me today thank you ben, so thank, you. <laughs> thank you ben. thank you for having me yes, of course <laughs> ben hurst is the head of facilitation and training at the good lad initiative an organization teaching young men and boys about gender equality feminism and intersectionality Busy Being Black is the podcast exploring how we live in the fullness of our queer black lives. Thank you to our partners, UK Black Pride and Blackout UK, and to you, the listeners. Remember this, your support doesn't cost any money. Retweets, shares, ratings, and reviews all help, so please keep the support coming. Finally, thank you to Anthony Giles, a queer black Grammy-nominated producer based in New York City for these bomb-ass Busy Being Black beats. Ashe. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.